Thursday, June 29th, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio built by Arborly here at the iconic Wall Center downtown Vancouver. If you're visiting Vancouver and you need a place by the airport, the Western Wall Center YVR. Plush, heavenly beds for some rest and relaxation. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Grace Sass, Hidden Switches, conducting things. This show, our presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. So excited to have them aboard. Still basking in the glow of this new partnership, and uh, we can't wait to tell you more about them in the weeks to come. And, of course, it's all good. At Applewood. Mm-hmm. But our poll question today, we're asking you, what would you grade the Vancouver Canucks draft class? You can grade A, B, C, or just vote, you know what, unsure. I just want to see the results. Do so at some Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games. Poker strategy and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me. Canada has to be utterly embarrassed with that result against Guadeloupe at the Gold Cup. They play Guatemala on Canada Day, for heaven's sakes, looking to make amends, redeem themselves. $200 bet pays 100 bucks on your Bodog line of the day. All right, let's reset what folks said about last night's selection. Wednesday selection of Tom Wheelander at 11th overall. We asked on our Bodog poll question Wednesday, would Tom Wheelander have been your choice with 11th overall at the draft? Yes, no, or unsure see results? Boy, uh, nearly 3,000 votes on this. Blake, yes, no, or unsure what won the poll? Uh, yes, won the poll. Indeed it did. What percentage said yes? Mm, 48. 40. Oh, wow. 34% said no. 26% said, hey, unsure. Just want to take a gander at the results. And we completely get that, that you know, the casual hockey fan, uh, the casual hockey fan doesn't necessarily know all these prospects far and wide flung around the world. So, you know, you read as much as you can. You watch some video of the of the guys and you sort of make your own conclusions here. But, of course, it will be many years until we have a verdict on whether this was the right which whether this was the right selection in terms of the draft class at whole on a whole some comments that we had gotten that we have gotten uh, today Glenn says a few WTF picks I like to know which scout was pounding the table for the 20 year old they likely could have just recruited next March that's the uh, Nebraska Omaha Center Tyler Mueller he says Car- uh, Carter Sotherby, Austin Rose, Sanayev, Lipinski, who Jaden Lipinski from the Vancouver Giants would have been my choices. Uh, Jordan says objectively awful round four. Overagers who they could have got for free need a new scouting staff. And Drew says I like the first two picks. Clear upside there based on scouting reports. The other picks are definitely head scratchers. Hamilton saying underwhelming other than the 75th pick, which is Hunter Brustevich defenseman from the Kitchener Rangers. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think the first two picks were totally good. Um, I, I just think neither one of them is projected to be spectacular. Like, they're like is a really nice pick, but I, I, no one's projecting Norris Trophy for this right. kid. And as we said yesterday, there are three fair criticisms of the first of their first pick, Wielander. If you want to criticize them for taking a safer defenseman early in the first round... Fair enough. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I think they're banking he has more dynamic skill in offense going forward. But if, if that criticism today is valid. And that's fine that you can project more that there's, but it's only going to be to a point. Like, where, again, he's not going to be an electric Kale McCarr defenseman. Like, no. That's not happening. If you want to criticize them for leaving the forward, Zach Benson, on the board, bypassing him, a local player who had an extraordinary career in the Western Hockey League, had done things that only Connor Bedard had done in terms of point scoring, that is also fair criticism right now. And then number three, if you want to criticize them for not moving down, and as we talked to Cam Robinson later in the draft, he thinks it could have been 15 Nashville, where I think you probably still could have gotten Wheelander. 21 Minnesota, where you're probably out of the Wheelander range there, but you're likely to get a relatively some. That's fair criticism, too. We'll hear from Patrick Alvin later in the show as to why they didn't want to do that. Flip side, you need a partner for Quinn Hughes today and down the road. You have a massive organizational need at right shot defense. It's the scarcest commodity in the NHL. You got three of them, including Wheelander. And if what we hear is the God's honest truth, that Todd Harvey and his group had Wheelander as the best player available, you can also laud them for sticking to their board and being true to their list. The defense I keep seeing um, when people criticize the Canuck drafts uh, draft class right now is, hey, they're all they're all rolls of the dice. Yes. But make it so that when you 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 get your role to to land, that you're landing something that that I mean, hey, they're all scratch and wins. But do you want a scratch and win ticket where the jackpot is eleven dollars, or do you want it where this where the scratch and win is twenty one grand? You want to mm-hmm. go for the twenty one grand ticket, and the Canucks did not choose any twenty one thousand dollars scratch and wins. These are hundred buck, five hundred buck, twenty one, huh? Yeah, what? 21? Yeah, that's it. that seems what, to be what, the... What you, that's, what's that? Very arbitrary. No, it's not. Growing up, they were always $21,000 jackpots. God, I would think they're more than that now. They're probably like growing are. up. You're talking 30 years ago. I, I, you're right. It's probably ago. an antiquated amount, but that's what I used to always say. Wow. See. Anyhow, you know, you, you get the, uh, the metaphor here is none of the picks are swings for a fence that is exciting. Like, uh, all the picks... If they hit, are for safe profile players. None of them electric. None of them electric mm-hmm. skill sets, and that and that's disappointing because in the third and fourth rounds, you can still get guys. They've got nothing else, but they got a great shot. Mm-hmm. They got nothing else, but they got speed. Yep. They got nothing else, but ah, I, I mean, the only argument you can make is the size, the length of the six foot six player. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's a separating eye-popping thing but that's now i'll say this and i will declare a little bias here because uh good friends with someone who is very close with the celebrini family and of course we know rick and have known rick for years and used to lead the vancouver canucks human performance division now with the golden state warriors Uh, i thought aiden celebrini in the sixth round was very wise this is a right-handed defenseman where you will know his character and you will know more about him because of the proximity of the Celebrini family to your organization, a Vancouver kid. He's going to be you. He's playing with Wheelander there, and he's playing with his brother there, Macklin Celebrini, who is likely to be the first pick in next year's draft. So he's the least I of my, thought that was a sly pick from yeah. the Canucks in round six. Totally don't mind it because, A, it's the sixth round, so why the heck not? Local kid, good story, and pedigree. Uh, genetic pedigree is, is is a thing. Dad was a professional athlete. Brother's a 
going to be a professional athlete. Um, You know, that means something. And um, yeah, if if, if the the description I gave was if you hit your... uh, I don't mind that in the sixth round for a guy that might be your, your sixth defenseman, seventh defenseman. That's not that, that's not. But all those fourth round picks, two in the third, you had other options there, and you said no. Let's hear from Patrick Alvin, the Canucks general manager. First on the point we made earlier that look, they probably believe that Tom Wheelander has more offensive upside and potential than perhaps what it looks now. Here's Patrick Alvin. He, he actually played forward up to two years ago, so, so he, he, he has the ability to be uh, uh, producing and being involved in the, in the offensive game. Um, what I do like, though, is his commitment and how he competes and how he's able to uh, uh, play against top players, uh, defending well, um, just with his IQ and his, uh, his mobility there. And that's completely fair. That a guy who makes a transition, let's face it, late in your hockey career to move from forward to defense. And you can see that in the stat line, by the way. And then just focuses on the new responsibilities that are core to the position. Not to mention the fact, as we talked about when he was with the Swedish national team, he just deferred to Sandine Pelica the entire time because that's the offensive defenseman. And he said, all right, we got that covered. I'm going to be the stay-at-home guy. So... All of that is completely fair. The Canucks are making a bet here that that offensive potential from the years playing forward eventually shines through. He was better than a goal per game just two (laughs) years ago. He was better than a goal per game. So again, we actually, we're going to have to get the full story on who changed him to defense and why. Yeah. You know, you're a goal per game. Typically, you know, aren't you riding riding that out if you're a coach but there, there's a good mm-hmm. clue on maybe mm-hmm. the ability to unlock some more offense from him is that he did one day have it yeah now this pick was panned in different places scott wheeler the athletics draft analyst had the canucks as one of his first round losers and then patrick bacon a top down hockey with a very dire report a small small chance he projects that wheelander is even an nhler he also had he ranked Mish- him 112th overall. He also had Mishkov ahead of Bedard. I really think we need to draw the line on some of these at-home scouts. At, at, well, and what Bacon said was um, his production in his draft minus one year, so few points in the junior league, is what flushed him down his list. Oh. That it's a little more statistics, statistical uh, and analytics-based than it is anything else. But, but of course, that was year one as a defenseman. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I right. think you could probably... And look, others were, were utterly um, set on Benson, just felt the value was great. He was fifth on the elite prospects list. He was eighth on the hockey news. He was there at 11. Our buddy Wyatt Arndt, the stanchion, countless local kids terrorized the Canucks over their careers, yet the one time they go local, it was for Jake Vertanen. It feels malicious at this point. Yeah, I hear you. And of course, there were I other uh, BC and Vancouver players on the board there when Van- when the Canucks select, including Matthew Wood, who wound up going to the... Hey, if the Canucks had their second round pick, Andrew Crystal would have been awfully close That's to falling right. to them. They might have been able to trade up and grab Andrew That's Crystal right. if they still had a second round pick. Yeah, and uh, of course, we mentioned this yesterday or earlier in the week going into the draft 
keep your eyes on pick 43, because that's the second-round pick that Vancouver sent to Detroit in the Philip Ronick deal. Well, it wound up being Felix Nielsen to Nashville. Detroit traded the pick, a centerman who a lot of people, including our Cam Robinson, were pretty high on at 43 overall. Canucks fans hoping he doesn't turn into another Rasmus Anderson Mm -hmm. second-round pick that Calgary made with a Vancouver choice in the Sven in the Sven Berchi deal. Okay, let's hear from Alvin on the possibility of trading down. Come back and discuss. We're best player available. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, he he actually was there. Um, you know, all the other players ahead of him was gone. So um, we discussed, uh, you know, different scenarios if it made sense for us to move down, um, keep the pick. But our, our guys were, were so excited and... and uh, uh, I didn't see a reason why to to uh, not pick Tom there. That sounded to me like a relatively new general manager that just couldn't muster the courage to trade down and disappoint his scouts if Wheelander was gone. And, and you know what? It, it, like, who knows how many people he's talking about? But if you got three to four people in the scouting department, they're saying we're really excited. You, I mean, and, and that's. You're, you're not using your employees properly. Like They're there to, to make well, those opinions known. True, but I'm also told that there were a couple of really big Zach Benson fans at the Canucks table. I'm sure there I'm now, sure was. I, they were outnumbered, but I think there would have been a couple of guys at least at that table going, if we can go down to 15, I still think we'll get the guy. If that's the Which guy, guy that we would. Wheelander. Oh, gosh. You think Wheelander 15? Well, Arizona wasn't taking him at 12. No. They already got their defenseman. Buffalo was taking Benson, although Nashville might have been moving up for Benson. Anyways, I'm told there was some Zach Benson discussion. There were some Zach Benson fans at the Canucks draft table. But, hey, end of the day, you put together your list collaboratively, and uh, Tom Wielander was their best player available, as they as they tell us. Now, Alvin also has got free agency on the weekend, and just in case you're unaware, we mentioned this earlier in the week, we will have a Saturday program here on Sakaris and Price. A podcast will drop at some point Saturday on free agency. We anticipate the Canucks are going to add at least somebody on the opening day of NHL free agency. We're going to take the Monday, uh, July 3rd, off. You know, minus news breaking. If big news breaks on Monday, we'll be available, but we're going to record Saturday this coming week as opposed to the Monday. Here's the Canucks GM on the, uh, well, the cap space that he has to spend in free agency. Yeah, I, I think uh, the free agent market, and, uh, no different from, you know, out of years, it's, it's tough. Uh, um, there is a, a, a limited uh, amount of players out there, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a fit for, for what we want to have. Uh, as I said, uh, I, I don't want to, overspend I want to use my money wisely here moving forward too uh, not just jump on something and and, and then uh, take away other opportunities so um, we'll see he also said that free agency was more likely than trades when looking at filling the club's needs which of course are at defense and at third line center and it makes sense because the Vancouver Canucks just don't have a deep enough organization where you have spare players the likes of which we've seen the LA Kings battle over the last week here to improve their hockey club for example Blake 
you know, somebody mentioned to me that, yeah, the Canucks were trying to trade up from 11, but when all you have or all you're willing to put in play is the likes of Vasily Putgols and Niels Hoagland or Jack Rathbone, that's not going to entice a trading partner enough to move up in the draft, particularly not in that area of the draft. And I think some of that holds true when you're talking about acquiring top four centers or uh, top four defensemen or third line centers. You know, Pod Colson, Hoaglander, and Rathbone are by low candidates in the eyes of other teams. They're not enough to get you those sorts of pieces. If they were willing to put a Lakaramaki in play, interestingly, an Archer Siloff, so that the goaltender market could always be can always be fickle, then maybe that gets you those sorts of pieces. Otherwise, you're either going to have to trade out future high picks, and we know they're already missing next year's second rounder in the Jason Dickinson trade, and I just don't think that's palatable to Alvin at this stage of the this stage of the game. I still wonder what lies ahead in the next seventy two hours here for the for the Canucks. Um, can they really get into bidding wars with other teams for the marginal players that exist in free agency? Um, are are there still trade talks? that maybe started here in Nashville at the draft that can continue in the interim time between now and free agency. I I just I don't like the fact that Canucks didn't conduct any business here on, on draft floor, and I don't mean about moving up and down the draft. I mean for this upcoming year mm-hmm. because – Wingers were being given away. You were creating more cap space because, hey, like and some people may not agree with this, but I would have – been okay with the Canucks giving away a winger. I really would have been. Even even with a, a draft pick attached to it. If it's full mm. freight, I would have been okay with the Canucks giving away a winger. Well, you would, Blake, but again, they're trying to make the playoffs, and Connor Garland and Brock Besser do get you further ahead than replacement level players. Well, it, it, that's pessimistic that you think that they can't get somebody better in the interim 72 hours. Just cap space, well, is, cap no, space is worth something. I, uh, what I'm saying is if if you're willing to give away a winger, you've got to replace them. Right. Most of your cap space is going to be allocated to the third-line center and one, if not two, With defensemen. the current amount of cap space. That's why giving away said winger mm-hmm. allows you to improve upon. The, the only reason why you so, want to give away a winger, man, is because you don't think that winger fits. Right. So if you've got newfound cap space, you got four uh, or five more million dollars of cap space, then you're allowed to take on a bad, mm-hmm. like a, a you know a a bigger contract that another team wants to get rid of. It means that you're a bigger player in the trade market. Maybe. Well, no, because you still don't have. Well, you're a bigger pl- tr- player in the trade market in terms of your ability to take on a cost inefficient yes. player. Yes. Yeah. So a guy that's making seven or eight that shouldn't be making seven or eight. Yeah. That should be making five. Well, I sure hope that's a one year proposition if you're taking on that player. Well, it has to be because yeah. you're in danger. Well, two years is fine. But certainly three again, yeah. you're three years in I mean, I I I I have long said uh the underlying metrics on Garland are good. Okay, he may not fit with your top six pieces. He may have to be a mucker at this point. But with what's left on his contract and how difficult it is to move that money, I would rather keep Garland and hope for a bounce-back season as opposed to just giving him away. In Besser's case, as you've always argued, I mean, he's still a reasonably effective offensive player. There are worries there about the defense. There are worries there about the speed. And, of course, it's a bloated contract. But Anthony Bovillier, they need Anthony Bovillier. Okay. 
4.1 million. Yeah, I'm very quiet on Beauvillier. I mean, Dregs mentioned something to us some weeks ago, but who knows? We'll see what they're up to. But yeah, uh, I do take the general manager for his word. I suspect you're going to see a couple of free agents come in here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do suspect you get a third line center and a guy that at least they think is a top four defenseman. But how? That's not enough space. You're getting both of those yeah. and staying under the cap? You don't think they can get like an Evan Rodriguez and a Carson Soucy? Of course they can. I mean, I I think Carson Soucy's going to have a number with, with four in front of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, they just created seven with OEL. So you well, don't no, think... they're, they're at 6.7.1. Yeah. So I think between Seuss... No, uh, no, no, they've got 6.4 in cap space. Remember, they were over the cap when they made the trade. Oh, right. Okay. They got 6.4 in cap space. Right. So you don't think they can get Susie so for four in a third-line center for two? What two, kind two of third-line center are you getting for two well, million bucks? Rodriguez. <sighs> Max Domi, if you think he's the center. But if, those guys aren't true centers, though. If Tanner Pearson says he's ready to roll, you're down to three million in cap oh, space. Well, you have to accommodate for this, Nick right? Nick Bugstad. Yeah. Bluger. If Tanner like, Pearson may shows have to up, go down a tier in terms of third line center. If Tanner Pearson shows up to camp, they're in trouble. You're down to three million in cap space. You're going to be able to accommodate. You're going to be able to account for Tanner Pearson. How? You're going to put him on LDIR. You're so going to say you haven't played hockey in twelve months. You need a. You need a. a you're, you absolutely are going to need some sort of rehab assignment. IR maybe not LTIR. Anyways. I, it's just I, I, people I, have to be careful about how much cap space they think the oh, Canucks have. Sure. It's I, not a lot. I understand that. Well, think of what it would have been like without OEL. I mean, that's why I was pretty certain that the best move was to buy out OEL. Anyways, I think they they got enough for a couple of free agents. And in fact, I would be surprised if a couple of free agents aren't here by this time. By this time next week, let's get this Tyler Myers business. Where the daily face-offs Frank Saravelli tells our old friends Huff and Bruff that he believes there's a deal in place between the Canucks and Sharks on Tyler Myers. And what's holding it up? Well, probably that bonus payment on September 15th. I don't dispute there's an agreement in principle and San Jose is going to take on Tyler Myers, but I'm sure Tyler, San Jose is smart enough to go, yeah, we're going to do so after you pay the $5 million Bonus. But I don't even know like why you'd even phrase it like that. Like the, the phrasing makes it sound like it still could happen. It still could be imminent. But you, you you can't hold back bonus money. Like that's not the way it works. You can hold back cap dollars, but not real dollars. So you know, like I I just I I don't know that Frank and would. San Jose is going nowhere next year, so they are a team that can acquire a player in September, and and they're one and of the be- few teams in that position that hasn't really done one of these deals mm-hmm. of these pure salary yep. dump deals yet. Yep. Um, I just I don't know why you'd bring it up in in that way if it was about the bonus because mm-hmm. everybody knows the bonus is there. Um, yep. There, there would be no perplexing. Uh, thought because you'd know it. No, this deal is well, going to be consummated in mid-September. Th- or, or, or Blake, that means you're taking money back from San Jose, and they're deciding who that is. Perhaps, yeah. But I mean, I mean, Couture is a scary contract because it's four more years at eight poof. million for a 34 year old. But could he be your third line center? Wow, I don't think you go near Vlasic in the seven million for three more years at age 36. So. But there are other guys in San Jose that you might be taking money back on. Who knows? Yeah, it's, I it's mean, possible. I, I I would suspect this is bonus related, but hey. 
unsure of the details on that. Time now for today's golf report brought to you by the Whistler Golf Club. And we've been talking about these great buddy trips, corporate groups at the Arnold Palmer Design Whistler Golf Club. Also the home to the Nike Pro Shop featuring exclusive footwear apparel by Tiger, Rory, Brooks, Scotty, Nelly, and more. And Palmer's Gallery, a bar and grill featuring one of Whistler's top 10 patios. Get a fantastic meal and a cocktail there overlooking the golf course. For more information, a book at tea time, you can visit whistlergolf.com. And today's golf report is as much about professional golfers or is as much about the wives of professional golfers mm-hmm. as it is about the golfers themselves. I've got a little ditty about Phil and Amy Mickelson here, but first, Justin Thomas and... Uh, Getting a little motivational text from his missus. Well, as we all have witnessed, he is—he's uh, not been Justin Thomas of late. Uh, he said he was embarrassed by his performance at the U.S. Open, but a text from his wife before last week's Travelers may have turned things around. If you remember, he shot sixty-two on Sunday this past weekend and finished tied for ninth. He has uh, not. Uh, uh, teed off at the time of our recording here in the Rocket Mortgage, or I don't even think he's there. Um, but what happened was his wife just texted him something simple. And he said it really resonated with him. He said, all credit to my wife, honestly. Wednesday night last week sent me a text that I woke up to Thursday that just resonated to me, and it really hit home better than anything else I've heard. She said, remember why you love this game and why you play this game and why you're out there. Just enjoy that and kind of take it in. And he says that it hit home for me. So last week, any kind of challenge I faced, anything good that happened, anything bad that happened, I just kind of remembered, this is why I play professional golf. That's why I'm doing this. And uh, he was able to take that step back, Mm. and uh, he's coming off a 62. The next time he tees it up, he's going to be thinking about that 62. I wonder if Mrs. Thomas was uh, inspired by that little exchange with Wyndham Clark about, you know, win one F in U.S. Open. Now i got to mark my ball from 80 yards out. Because JT has, over the years, been caught on live mic saying some things that don't necessarily reflect well. Well, he's also a joker. So, like, I think, I think he also gets caught making sort of some barbs that get mm. taken the wrong way. And every time you're pushing the humor line, you're going to go over it a couple of times, right? So Phil and Amy Mickelson are selling capes. Okay. End of golf report. <laughs> <laughs> They're selling capes in the Live Golf merch tents emblazoned with the High Flyers logo. The which one he's is being sued for. Team yeah. that he's a part of. Here's Lefty. Quote, it's aspirational. It's not for everybody, but it's a cool thing about her team, and it's the creativity of my wife Amy and what she brings. We envision a lot of little kids running around the golf course in capes. And that's kind of what we're hoping for. And have them dreaming about being a high flyer one day. I'm sorry, oh Blake. Oh, my God. I, this. Uh, I know we're only one year in to live, but where it's going to be in 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to be pretty exciting. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, and, uh, like Phil has always marched to his own drumbeat, and like even his brother and those around him will tell tell you how detached he is from sort of society at large on a lot of things. And we're literally we're ten days removed from the high flyers being in the golf report for the lawsuit <laughs> regarding that very logo. Like the this is going to be a part of the lawsuit, 
and they're leaning into it while they can. And by the way, by looking at the lawsuit, they're not going to be able to use this logo going forward. The other logo is exactly the same, and they're expanding the product line. What, what, what I'm hearing here is that Amy Mickelson wanted to design capes. And Phil said, I'm going to make that happen for you and get behind you with my full support, honey. Wow. Ever seen a guy in a cape on a golf course? Like, No, nor have I seen a kid <laughs> running around with a I cape mean, on a golf course. Help me out here, but the cape might kind of get away in the way of the swing. No, you bring the club back. But it might be great for the like a rainy day. With it. Rainy day, you just sort of, you pull it around yourself. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Let's get to today's menu brought to you by Dodge to Breakfast. To brunch, to lunch, get it all at the Dutch across BC. Well, big show with Cam Robinson from the draft floor in Nashville and his evaluations of all the six players the Vancouver Canucks selected today. And one of them, Aiden Celebrini, the sixth round pick. Yeah, if you know that name, his father, Rick, the director of human performance once upon a time for the Vancouver Canucks, now with the Golden State Warriors. And his brother, Macklin, the presumptive first overall pick in next year's draft, Aiden was absolutely floating. So pleased to go to his hometown team where he spent a lot of time at Rogers Arena around some of the Canucks of years past. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That summer heat. With workshop spirits, ombre margarita, hi there, hard lemon iced tea, and hi there, our peach iced tea will keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday, treat yourself to a yellow dog, neighborhood, or workshop spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious, probably not, but I do know it was another WTF moment. My question of ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect... And I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. One of the poll questions we considered posting, Bodark poll question, after the OEL buyout was whether the Canucks still need to trade a winger. Were Brock Besser and Connor Garland still on the block, and were they more tradable now that... We're in the offseason with more teams theoretically having more cap space. And, of course, the balance of the team as well, where you're a little winger heavy and in search of defensemen. Well, the first week of the NHL offseason has given us a glimpse of what salaried wingers are worth on the trade market. And the returns have been um, not good. Thursday, the Islanders paid a second-round pick to send Josh Bailey to Chicago, who bought him out. The Oilers gave away Kyler Yamamoto and Clem Costin to Detroit. And, of course, Wednesday, Vegas accepted a meager third-round pick from Pittsburgh for Riley Smith. Now, 
not all these wingers are equal in terms of production or contract value, but the conclusion is the same. It's a buyer's market. At this point, with their cap crunch somewhat solved by the OEL buyout, the Canucks can't expect much, if anything, in return for Besser and Garland. Given that their goal is to make the playoffs this season, they're better served keeping them both. That's Welcome Matt for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email. Live at SecureSomePrice.com. You can text 778-402-9680 to the Great Clips text message inbox. On Twitter, I'm at Secures, at SecureSomePrice. And the Welcome at a presentation of Northlands Golf Course, Metro Vancouver's premier public golf course. Can't wait to get out there tomorrow. You can book your tee times 90 days in advance. Don't forget to join the loyalty program. Price your next round could be free. And, of course, that gorgeous patio overlooking the golf course in the city. Get the details at golfnorthlands.com. Harrison Price from Wall Center, presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. It's all good at Applewood. And today's Bodog poll question, how would you grade the Canucks 2023 draft class? You can give an A, B, C, or say, look, I'm unsure. I just want to see the results at Harrison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. And Bodog, line of the day for me, a battle of the home losers tomorrow in the Canadian Football League. The Elks visit Ottawa, where the Red Blacks have lost 12 straight on their home field. Of course, Edmonton has lost even more than that. I'm going to lay the two and a half points with the home side and say the skid is snapped here on your Bodog line of the day. Now the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee, where Cam Robinson, director of film scouting for Elite Prospects and our draft insider, joins us with his thoughts on the Vancouver Canucks Hall from day two of the NHL entry draft. Cam, how are we doing? I'm doing well, boys. How are you doing? Yeah, fantastic. So first things first, answer me the poll question. A, B, C, incomplete. What are you giving this draft class from Vancouver? Well, I like their first two picks. I like the top one yesterday. I like the top one today. I'm not, not so sure about the rest of the picks there, but you know what? They made it They made it count on the first two, and those are the most important two. Uh, so that alone is going to get them about a C-plus for me. Um, I do get a little head scratched when I look at some of the project picks that they take that lack kind of a statistical profile and an upside profile. Uh, you can get a lot of these type of players when they're already developed off of the waiver wire in five or six years rather than investing a load of time and money and energy and developing them yourself. But, um, you know, that's the that's the route that they're taking these days, it appears. They seem to get a deal, though, right off the top of the day. They start the day with Hunter Brustevich, who uh, on basically every single draft ranking is inside that number 75 that he ends up going to. So, they, you know, they started the day well, didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I like Brustevich. Uh, really strong transition back, you know, good first pass on the right side, uh, projectable skater. I mentioned this on Twitter there that, you know, he had a really high pedigree coming out of the U.S. National Game Development Program. At one point, looked like he could have been like the top right shot D in this class. Uh, hasn't been able to kind of maintain that upside over the last year and a half. This is like early in his draft minus one, those projections. Um, you know, moved to Kitchener this year. Uh, you know, I think that best case, he ends up being kind of like a helper player on your second pair. But I really like the transition game. Um, no, you know, you know, the the rush defense is coming along. Uh, yeah, I had him fifty-one on my board, I believe. 
Uh, so I really like the value there for Ben Zubrin. And again, targeting a right shot defenseman, it's a difficult position to get. So I, I appreciate that one. Well, let's stay on right shot defenseman because I think right shot defenseman and overagers kind of define this Canucks class, draft class. Aiden Celebrini, Vancouver product. Of course, his dad, Rick, was once the director of human performance for Canucks Sports and Entertainment. His brother, Macklin, figures to be the first overall selection in next year's entry draft. And both Celebrinis are joining Tom Wielander at Boston University. So tell us about Celebrini, the six-round pick and the final pick that the Canucks make. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 they're obviously selecting them now, so that in a decade they can convince Macklin to come home, right? Like that's that's clearly what's going on. It's here, very right? clear. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, clear. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I don't mind this pick either. He's a he's a defensive defender. You know, he's got pro size. He is physical on the right side, like we said, and he skates pretty well. Like he's an above average skater. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's a lot of ceiling here, but it's a it's a depth pick late in the draft with some home, tie, home team ties, and, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that pick. Well, on to the next defenseman then uh, that they took in the third round after Briskevich. Uh, what can you tell us about Sawyer Minio, who played for that powerhouse Seattle Thunderbirds team this year? Yeah, not a big, big fan of this pick. I saw him live at least six times um, and a ton more via film um, because I was mostly watching Grayson Sutton and uh, Niko Majatovic. Um, you know, pretty invisible. He's, he's uh, you know, what we call in, uh, in EP ringside, uh, just a guy. So he's out there, um, pretty, pretty, you know, reasonable rush defense, can pass the puck a little bit in the offensive end, not a very good skater, really struggles to handle the puck. You know, you want to take this kid in the sixth or the seventh, they all shrug and say, sure. But at 89, it's really, really too rich for my blood. Next up for selection. Taylor Mueller, or sorry, Tyler Mueller was a... He's a 20-year-old. He's a draft plus two kid out of Nebraska Omaha in the NCAA ranks. What can you tell us about Mueller? You know, he's uh, he's a kind of a jack-of-all-trades type of player. Um, you know, kind of a two-way forward. He has pretty good instincts away from the puck. Uh, makes good reads defensively. Knows how to clog up lanes and stuff like that. Plays a, a pretty smart, uh, smart game. Uh, the feeder, fine. You know, maybe slightly below average, maybe about average. Not very quick, though. Um, I, I wouldn't say he has pro-level projectable puck skills. Uh, another kind of guy uh, that you, you could have probably got either much later in the draft or as a UFA, as a college free agent down the line here in a minute too. So again, not a very in, interesting or, or uh, intriguing pick there. They got a 19-year-old center in, in Matthew Perkins. They got a six-foot-six winger in Vilmer Ulrichson as well. Um, two more guys in the fourth round. Couple of guys, couple of guys. I mean, Ulrichson, uh, he's a big boy though, right? He's six foot six. Elmer Slaughterbloom is kind of like the the mantra that some teams are seeing these monster Swedes and like, hey, you know, like we could have something fun here. And, and the net front, um, you know, he's big. He moves pretty well for a player his size, but he's way too upright when he skates, so that really limits his handling ability. It really limits his puck protection. He's not overly physical. He doesn't have a lot of battle to his game from my uh, from my viewings of him. Uh, yeah, he's a big, big project. So, you know, it's a long-term sort of thing that maybe they see something in him or, or he's, he's got a really competitive edge that he showed in, in interviews with their Swede scouts. I'm not sure. But, yeah, long-term project if, if anything's there at all. And Perkins, Matthew, the uh, forward. Yeah, former humble Bronco kid. Um, he played there in his draft year. And, and you know, I, I didn't get really any views on him in his draft year. Saw him a couple times this year in the USHL. Uh, pretty good details to his game from what I saw. You know, uh, he's a smart player. 
Um, but the feet, the feet are, are really bad. Um, I believe we, we gave him a three and a half and uh, five is average. So it's, 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 it's really poor. So, you know, he took the extra year as junior to try to help that out, obviously, and it hasn't worked thus far. Uh, I believe he's headed to loop. Um, so, you know, another project pick, but yeah, the, the feet are so concerning to me that I, I don't see him turning out to be a player. How about the fact that the Vancouver Canucks didn't move in any way, shape, or form? Were you surprised by that? Overall, it was a boring draft, I felt, in the National Hockey League, period. Like, no movement. And I, and I suppose that that's logical because it's a good draft, and so people want to keep their picks to some degree. But this is particularly boring. This is particularly stagnant. Should the Canucks have, have tried harder, do you think? Are you surprised they couldn't do anything differently? I mean, yeah, this is this is my fifth draft covering it, um, fourth live, I guess, six in total. And, yeah, probably the most boring one altogether. You know, all we had basically was Carolina moving back a few times. We know how they love to do that and clog it up. Um, it's gone very quickly, too. But uh, I, I'm not that surprised that Vancouver didn't do anything. I think that there was a real chance that they would have slid back yesterday had Vlander not been there. Uh, if that top ten had gone a little differently and Vlander and Dvorsky were gone, I think that they would have slid back to, uh, you know, 15 or 17 or something like that and then accrued a second-round pick. As I reported yesterday, they had several offers to do that and get a second-round pick in return, and they opted not to because they value Vlander so highly. Um, but outside of that, I'm not really surprised that they didn't do anything on day two. Do you know which teams offered them to move up, uh, Cam? Do you know sort of the, the range uh, number of where they would have dropped down to execute one of those deals? I have some educated guesses. How about that? Um, Nashville, Ottawa, potentially Minnesota. There was there were some teams that we, we heard a lot were trying to get up. Um, Carolina was trying to get up too. I think they were trying to get up even higher than Vancouver, but a lot of teams were kind of settling and Zach Benson kept sliding down. Um, a lot of teams were looking and making really hard charges to get up to get Mishkov. Um, and once that failed, I think they continued to try to get up to get Benson. Um, so I, I certainly think that they had opportunities in several different places to, to slide back. Yeah, Nashville would have been pick 15, just four spots down. I, I not sure they would have gotten Wheelander there, but I think there's a decent shot. Minnesota would have been pick 21, Carolina pick 30, yeah. and then Ottawa, uh, I believe, in the second round. So that that would be moving down. Yeah, uh, a fair bit. Cam, were you standing on a table to use uh, scout vernacular? When the Canucks were on the clock at any point today, going, got to take this guy, got to take this guy. Yeah, they missed the boat anyway. Sorry, unfortunately, it cut out a little bit on me, Matt. Can you repeat that question? Yeah, were you standing on the table when the Canucks were on the clock at any point today, going, got to take this guy? Yeah, yeah. there was there were some players that slid down the draft boards. You know, Jaden Perron was there very, very late. Um, you know, basically look at the Carolina Hurricanes draft board, and, and everybody that they picked after Vancouver's third at 75 there is someone that you could probably make a really good good debate, be like, there's an upside pick, because that's all they do in Carolina is they take big cuts on high-impact potential players, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, and that's just part of the process. But, you know, they, they're taking cuts all over the place, and I just love it for them too. So, um, yes, there was there were some players there that I was really interested that Vancouver could have taken. Hoyt Stanley was another one I would have been really interested in. Um, playing out of Victoria, another right shot D, loads of potential, right? He's a project, but loads of potential. And those are the type of players you want to you take a swing on. You want to take a cut on these guys with high upside, and, and that just doesn't seem like it's the mantra for them in the middle rounds. Yeah, that's the difference between the the big cuts of the Canucks or the the off the board picks of the Canucks 
is that the upside isn't necessarily there. If it all works out for a lot of these players chosen from the th- uh, the third round down for the Canucks, they're still kind of projecting to be role players, aren't they? Like they, they they're not taking the guy who's super fast but has no hands. That's a kind of project that you can get behind because at least there's a separated skill there. I don't feel like any of the Canucks prospects that are rolls of the dice have those skills, right? You nailed it. And, and you said it, you said it perfectly. They're that separating skill. And so, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes took Bradley Nadeau at the end of the first round yesterday. And it's peculiar, you know, they, there's, there's going to be safer players to choose at that spot, but he has a separating skill with that shot, right? They look for these skills that we can't get that for free, for cheap, right? You can't get a goal score. You can't get a player who has a high upside without paying through the nose take them in the draft take a swing on a kid that maybe could be an impact player for you down the line in three or four or five years rather than being like if everything breaks right maybe we've got ourselves a depth player on the fourth line or a, or a quadruple a player it's like i don't know that's that's just not my philosophy when i'm scouting and if i was making those picks so it's it's really hard for me to draw a link between that thinking she mentioned hoyt stanley from the victoria grizzlies and saint george's where coach mike allen whipped him in the shape mm. shout out coach and uh, he goes to Ottawa in the fourth round, uh, pick 100, 108. And, uh, Cam, you and I were texting a little bit about the two Prince George forwards, Riley Height and Cone Zimmer, both of whom were falling. Height, a lot of people thought, was a mid-first rounder. And our old friend Judd Brackett nabs him with the last pick in the second round, 64th overall. Is that the best value pick in this draft? Yeah, terrific value for them there. Sorry if we're, if we're cutting out a little bit here, but uh, yeah, tremendous value for Judd Brackett and Co. in Minnesota. Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects, our NHL draft insider for a third consecutive year, and we thank him for helping us out there on the ground in Nashville. So Carson Price from Wall Center. Hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter. They're brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason Dodd Mortgage. And here's the thing. When you contact Jason Hominick, you actually contact Jason personally. There's no middleman or staffer taking your call, responding to your email. It's Jason himself with the best advice on mortgages. Get that personal touch from an expert that works for you and not the bank. Find him at Jason.Mortgage. At Strombone One. The attendees are having a tough night selecting picks. <laughs> Carey Price whiffs on David Reinbacher, which both sides are right here. Yeah, is that tough for David Reinbacher? Because that's the biggest moment of his career to that point. Yeah, it is. You like mm-hmm. it to be a little bit more storybook than that. But also, Carey Price is human and mm. not a public speaker by nature. And I wonder if like the nerves got to him and he just went blank. Yeah, when you know it's the biggest moment of a young kid's career, yeah. you want to nail it. It's not a particularly tough name. It's not oh. Hunter Brustevich, for heaven's no. sakes. But um, yeah, I feel bad for all involved. Mm-hmm. And then Pekka Rene later. In what may have been an ironic sort of nod to Carey Price we or not. We think he was digging at Carey, yeah. With uh, Tanner Molendyke, who's from McBride, BC, the Nashville pick, uh, defenseman from the Saskatoon Blades, he had a uh, he had a big smile on his face. Did Pekka? He might yeah. have thought he was being funny. I don't know. I think so. Well, then Kerry Price tweeted about it at CP 31 Boy, that was embarrassing. Sorry, David. Dot dot dot. 
Reinbacker, <laughs> and on face emoji, sweating emoji. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I, I I feel bad for Carey Price. You know, I, he's been through a lot lately. You know, uh-huh. um, I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he. Well, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, they uh, sold their Montreal home, or they're selling their Montreal home and, and moving full time to Kelowna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Patterson, Jeff, something we didn't get to on the schedule, and we talked about how Jeff dug deep. Well, he didn't just dig; he mined the schedule for all its intricacies. How about this one, Blake? Just one set of back-to-backs for the Canucks in their first 14 games. So 13 early starts for Demko, question mark, and both ends of the back-to-back is at home, St. Louis and the Rangers. So maybe 14 straight for Demko out of the gates? I wouldn't think so, but given you've been sewered two Octobers in a row here, Probably pretty heavy. I think you're going to play a lot of Thatcher Demko if he's healthy in the early part of the year. All the more reason to um, utilize Abbotsford too, right? Like I know the Abbotsford schedule is a little bit different as to when it starts. Probably doesn't start till halfway through that mm-hmm. spell. But maybe the backup needs to go down there. Whoever the backup is, maybe the backup needs to play a couple of games with Abbotsford to well, uh, shake some rust I off. Mean, that's easier said than done if it's an NHL veteran backup because you'd have to get him through waivers. If it's Archer Siloffs, that's a different matter. How many people are claiming goalies in the first well, couple weeks of the season? An NHL journeyman so backup. Typically not. But if you get a goalie injury early you, in the season, that would be the time. You can survey. Usually teams are pretty tight to the cap to start a season before injuries have hit. But it's a lot easier, though, just to bring Silovs up and you give him the practice and you, you spot start him a game here. Like if if they get a goalie claim that they bring in as a backup, then they're kind of in scramble mode. Yeah. Uh, at Whitecaps FC, hey, hey, I want to be a rock star. Head coach Vanny Sartini in the Canadian Championship Voyagers Cup joined Canadian legends Nickelback on stage to sing rock star. On Wednesday night, this has been everywhere on Twitter. He sang the song and rocked out to a a sold-out Rogers Arena last night. Mm -hmm. I mean, for all the guff that Nickelback takes. and All they do is sell millions of records and sell out shows, stadiums, arenas across the world. Now, it's been a nice little little, Mm. uh, spell here for Vanny doing all this, but... Mm -hmm. uh, it's time to put it aside now. Time to put the concerts well, aside we, we, and concentrate on the job at we, we We have to have Coach on here in soon because um, we do have to ask him some hard-hitting questions about all this. Yes. Well, let's see if he's worked on song number two of Nickelback. Maybe he's doing a ballad next. Mm-hmm. He should drop a whole CD, sing-along <laughs> CD. Frankly, um, I want to hear him sing Photograph. Photograph by Def Leppard. Look at this photograph. Is that oh, not a Nickelback that's song? That's a Nickelback song too. Yeah, they both they both sing a photograph. That's right. I'm not a Nickelback guy, as you know, so I don't know the opus quite like you do. And yet, you had a hand in bringing these parties but, together for last <laughs> night. 
Uh, we'll tell that story when Vanny joins us next. At Ben Pope CST, Kyle Davidson tells the surreal story of his now famous Blackhawks fan man on the street interview from yesterday. Did you see this? The general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks with his Roberto Luongo on the seawall talking to the Weather Network moment. He described it as an early morning. He and another staffer just decided, let's get out for a walk, get out of this hotel. We've been cooped up here. So here's his words on it. They had asked me if I wanted to interview, and I was like, no, thanks. I made the comment to Jeff, that's the staffer. I was like, it's funny. They have no clue who we are or what we do. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back. I had to wait for two people to finish interviewing that they were wearing cane and saw jerseys. They didn't recognize me either. (laughs) It was probably the backwards hat or the freshly shaven face. Maybe I looked a little younger. I mean, he looks 18. He does. He says, that's the most nervous I was. When I got the question about naming NHL players in 20 seconds, it was all kind of natural. And then they asked me to start rhyming off NHL players. And I'm like, oh, no, if this comes out that they realize what I do and I stumble and I can't name players, I'm in big trouble. So I was like, pressure is on. I was waiting for them to cut me off. I was thinking, end it, end it, end it. As soon as it was cut, I said, hey, by the way, I'm the GM of the Chicago Blackhawks. He just gave me a sideways look like, yeah, whatever, buddy. They probably just looked me up afterward and realized it was me. I wasn't lying. Honest to goodness. Uh, I I made the comment. That's the the best (laughs) such occasion but not usurping the all-timer, which no. is Strombone 1, of course. Yeah. What do you think of the weather? Yeah. That, that, that was fabulous. And that's hashtags for today. Well, what a story this is on day two of the NHL entry draft for the Vancouver Canucks and for the Celebrini family, which, of course, has been long entwined with the Canucks and very prominent here in Vancouver. We are pleased to welcome the Canucks sixth round selection from the Brooks Bandits in the AJHL and North Vancouver, British Columbia, Mr. Aiden Celebrini. How you doing, Aiden? Congratulations. I'm great. Yeah, I'm over the moon. Thank you guys for having me on. You're more than welcome. Uh, you didn't attend the draft. You're down in California with mom and dad. Of course, dad uh, works for the Golden State Golden State Warriors. So take us to the moment. Were you following along? How did you find out? Yeah, you know, I was actually uh, doing a skate out at uh, a rink near my house. And on the on the drive home, I saw the Canucks had the had the next pick. And I was I was kind of fingers crossed there. Just it's always been a been a dream of mine to to uh, be drafted by the Canucks and to play for the Canucks. So once that, once I saw my name on that pick, it almost went into uh, like a dreamlike state. Was it, was uh, there any uh, clue yeah. that you would that you would any connection at all? Uh, any contact from them that led you to believe they might have interest? Yeah, I had uh, I had a really good talk with their uh, their Western Canada scout, and um, yeah, I had some contact with them uh, before the draft, but. You know how the draft goes. Like you never, you never know how it's all going to shake down. So that was that was my ideal ideal situation, and it's uh, man, it's it's a dream that it it came to reality. What kind of year did you have? Uh, did you did you think this was uh, the kind of year that could get you drafted? Um. Yeah. You know. Obviously, uh, production wise, on a on a mostly um, 
offensive band his team i wasn't able to uh show my show my full offensive uh offensive toolkit i um kind of deferred to that uh that two-way and defensive defenseman role because that's that's what we needed to win the to win the centennial cup and we ended up getting the job done and um so that was that was on the front of my mind the entire the entire time was just uh playing a role that they needed from me to to win a centennial cup and then the draft was just uh was just kind of a kind of a byproduct so it sounds like you think there's more offense in that toolkit though is that something you want to unleash here with bu going forward i do for sure that's my biggest um yeah that's what i've been spending uh countless hours every day working on and yeah that's that's the biggest thing i want to be i want to be a uh a defenseman that's not limited by any part of my game. I want to. I want to be a winner. I want to help bring a uh, bring a championship, hopefully, to Vancouver if if I'm ever lucky enough to uh, step foot in the uh, in the NHL. So that's uh, that's my goal, and I'm uh, I'm gonna do whatever I can to to make that happen. You're gonna have to fight Tom Willander for power play time now. Bossy, <laughs> you another Canucks defense prospect. Yeah. Do, you, do you know anything about him as the uh, incoming inc- recruiting class? I actually, uh, actually haven't met him yet. I'll, uh, I'll definitely talk to him when we uh, when we go in there next week. But yeah, really, really excited to have him as uh, a part of the organization too, and grow that uh, grow that bond. As mentioned, Aiden, uh, your dad led the Canucks Human Performance Department for a, a number of years. I know the Celebrini children uh, considered Rogers Arena like a second home at one point. What are some of the memories? What are what are some of the uh, what are some of the days that stand out from your time as a young buck hanging around dad and Rogers yeah. Arena? Yeah, wow, so many um, so many mornings spent there. Uh working out in their gym, skating on that ice. Like, uh, I've had, I've been, uh, so blessed to, to grow up around that organization and the, uh, yeah, the, the memories that were made there, um, playing on the blue line, just passing the puck with, uh, Dan Hamuse and, um, Zach Cassian coming out and, betting me that I wouldn't shoot the puck in the far, far net when I was just like <laughs> 10, 12 years old. So yeah, mm-hmm. so many, uh, so many good memories growing up there and what a, what a class organization. And it's, it's just a dream come true to be a part of. We, uh, we had your brother on the show and uh tough question, but we got to ask here, Aiden, your North Van guys, mom and dad live in the California Bay area. <laughs> But for your hockey development, he goes to Chicago, you go to Brooks, and now you're both going clear across the continent to Boston. You're moving further and further away from the West Coast and mom and dad. What gives? Oh, man, it's been what a journey. Like even before uh, even before that, going to uh, going to Shattuck St. Mary's and yeah, it's just our... Uh, respective careers have taken us to to the far ends of the the far ends of the north america so it's uh yeah hopefully hopefully uh coming to vancouver it'll be uh it'll be nice to be a little little closer to mom and dad 
in a few years. Have well, you always been a defenseman, Aiden? Yeah, your brothers are forward, obviously, and Tom Wielander was a forward, converted to a defenseman himself. I'm just wondering, the fact that you want to explore your uh, your scoring, were you a forward at one point? Um, Not since, like... Uh, really? Way back, huh? Really, really yeah, young, yeah. really young. But, uh, yeah, it's it's always been something, I mean... Yeah, like I alluded to earlier, I just want to contribute in as many ways as I can. And with that Brooks team, it was as a uh, defensive defenseman. And but um, yeah, I'm definitely uh, looking to looking to keep developing that offense. And yeah, try to try to do whatever I can to keep keep winning at every stage. And, and for those who don't know, uh, you're the eldest uh, Celebrini child, Aiden. But uh, and we know about your brother, but sister's a pretty good tennis player. On I hear, Lil RJ might even be the best athlete of the bunch. Take us through the family. Oh man, yeah, I got. Uh, I always like to joke that I'm the uh, I'm the least talented of of the, <laughs> the Celebrini kids. But um, yeah, it's it's we've got a, a special special, um, especially Charlie. She's she's turning into a a freak tennis player she's yeah one of the best one of the best in the country i mean i'm biased obviously but yeah i think she's uh yeah i think she's up there with the the tougher age group in in north america and then yeah like you said rj rj is a a rising star in the making so hopefully he'll be uh he'll be having success when he gets to gets to this stage. The younger ones are always chasing the older ones. Yep. Uh, you get you get credit yeah. for their success, exactly. by the way. When it happens, yeah. you get to spike the football. They followed your lead, yeah. right? <laughs> trying to keep up yeah. with uh, older brother. Well, uh, my man, we're absolutely delighted for you. Congratulations. And we so look forward to watching your journey and all the Celebrini kids' journey through athletics going forward here. Thanks for the time, Aiden. Congrats again. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. There's a price from Wall Center. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. S versus P results, and I have never been more pleased to report them. Finally got a win here. Now 1-4-1 one, and one on the season, but unbeaten in two weeks, Blake. But who ended up being right? Yeah, uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I'll uh, take that victory. Well, and people have been saying, was I go not back right the retroactively OEL on the OEL bio yeah. when we did? Yes. So we got one of those yeah. apiece, too, Price. Uh, 67% of you voted for my argument on best player available on Twitter on 300 votes and the YouTube vote. Oh, I clobbered you. It's 22 to 7. So thank you to everybody who participated as our jury for S versus P. A lot of a lot of positive comments saying how this was a really tough one to score. Mm-hmm. Whether they agreed with the argument but thought they should do, you know, go the other way. Mm-hmm. So thank you to everyone that uh commented. Mm-hmm. They usually say that when they're voting for me. It's been a lot of over the years. I hate to agree with Sakara Spot. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe I find myself agreeing with Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. We told you J-Pat dug deep on the schedule, and there was a power play stat there. Here it is. Nine of the Canucks' first 14 games this season are against teams with top 10 power plays from last year. 
Uh, and part of that is because they play Edmonton three times early. Right. Zach Benson, because we had people claiming different towns for Zach Benson, as I understand it, grew up in Langley but played minor hockey in Chilliwack. Yeah, but then, yeah, it went, it went to Yale Academy, right? Mm-hmm. So so we're going to accept Langley, Zach Benson, and Chilliwack's Zach Benson equally? I don't know. Did he ever reside in Chilliwack, though? I don't, I don't know if he res- resided in Chilliwack. Okay. We uh, need our listeners, to the local people. Yeah, you can help us out, us. folks. Uh, when going through, and, and it wasn't meant to be comprehensive, but we should shout out, we were going through first round BC connections. Uh, Bradley Nadeau of the Penticton V's in the British Columbia Hockey League. He went late in the first round of the Carolina Hurricanes. So shout out to him. In fact, a couple of these players have been selected and the BCHL creeps into the first round. And then lastly, on the omission omission side, we have a trade to announce. We did not get the commissioner head-bobbing at the podium trying to draw out the drama with a trade to announce, Blake. First time since 2007. Going to want to hear this. Yeah. I may not tell you. You remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Anything further, Grady? Nada. Blake Price's Bodog line of the day, Bodog your source, free casino, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like, what you got? Well, Canada will try to uh, make good on their Gold Cup aspirations after a brutal display versus Guadeloupe uh, in the opener, taking on Guatemala in match number two. And I think there's going to be some rotation from the starting 11 from the first game because of how things ended up going. I think Jacob Schaffelberg draws in for John Herdman's group from Nashville. Um, and uh, I think he gets a goal. Plus 230 for an anytime goal for Jacob Schaffelberg. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to follow us and Rankwide wherever you get your podcast. And please do support the community sponsors you hear, you hear us talking about. Keep it local.